probably going to have a fairly lengthy introduction. I'm not going to use that since I'm up here. I'll just use this. Yeah. I think it'll work, right? Should work. Yeah. Okay. I need uh, 30 seconds. Sure. No, at the end. I'll oh, at the end? Yeah, I'll take it at the end. Oh, I will if they come in. I was kind of waiting for them, but I, are they, did they say they weren't coming to science school? Yeah, yeah, they're coming. Oh, okay. okay. So, so yeah, we'll need about four or five rows if they if, if they, they, they end up with that many in, people. Yeah, we won't know. So that's just okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get started. Let's go ahead, and I'll just open in prayer, and then we'll have a fairly lengthy introduction. All right. Father, we thank you for. Again, the opportunity to come and worship, and we thank you as always for the freedom that we have in our country to study your word. We pray that uh, our study of your word today will be profitable and that you will just give me clarity as, as I begin this teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to be studying the book of Joshua. So if you want to open your Bibles to the book of Joshua, I just finished teaching the book of Joshua a few weeks ago to to the junior high Sunday school class, so um, I found it to be very beneficial. I hope it is for all of you, and I found it to be very rewarding. Um, I hope to be coherent. One of my favorite Matthew Henry quotes was that he said, I hope people don't say of me that in laboring to be concise I became obscure. So, And I hope to be accountable. Um, As the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, you know, they searched the Scriptures to see whether the things that they had been told were so, and I certainly hope that you will do that, that you will hold me accountable, um, as we should hold anyone who's up here teaching and preaching God's Word accountable. So, I, again, I don't, I try to abstain from a lot of conjecture and speculation, but occasionally we'll digress, but we'll try to get back on track as quickly as we can. And I hope it to be interactive. Um, I know that's sometimes a little bit tricky and a little bit difficult. And if you need to um, interrupt me, that's fine. Um, Because I want your participation. I think it will be more beneficial if if we have that. So I hope it to be interactive. And I hope hope we're all prepared. I know um, it's very easy to to come and to... um, not having done much to prepare, especially if you're not the one that is teaching or leading the class. But um, and I know you'll get a lot more out of the study if you will read the book of Joshua. I mean, at the very least, the, the chapter that we're going to be spending time in, you know, each week. And, um, you know, really, I mean, it's essential to really be able to understand in any real context, the events in the book of Joshua without, you know, a pretty good understanding of the preceding books, Genesis through Deuteronomy at at the least. And so, um, again, I mean, I know that takes a a lot of time. That's a big time commitment. But if you can do it, um, it's certainly going to be more beneficial. And I hope that we see through the book of Joshua, um, certainly not only the, you know, the events in the nation of Israel, but... um, 
you know, as we'll see how those things pertain to God's plan for the church also and for people of all ages, not just the nation of Israel. And I hope the, I hope the study of the book of Joshua is faith building. I know it has been for me. Like I said, I just taught it. Um, I know I went through it and I, I think about the fifth grade because the church that I was attending used the regular Baptist press materials. And, you know, I've been through it a few other times, but uh, it's always beneficial. It certainly, you know, was rewarding and enriching to me. Um, there's a lot of churches today that neglect the study of the Old Testament, I think. And I think that's to their own detriment. That's very tragic. It's very valuable to study the Old Testament because... I think one of the things that was the most beneficial for me as I study the book of Joshua is a, a good solid reminder and confirmation that God keeps his promises, that God is faithful. And, you know, in the same way that God was faithful and, and kept his promises to Abraham and his descendants 3,500 years ago, he's, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be faithful today. And, you know, we're bombarded, we see from all sides, um, you know, we live in a world where there's a, a very concerted effort to cast God aside and dismiss His Word as silly and ancient and ridiculous and valuable for really nothing other than, you know, entertainment purposes and historical value. And so, but that certainly shouldn't be the case, certainly not for us as believers. So we will see in the, in the book of Joshua that God fulfills His promises. And as I said, it is a historical book. It's certainly not merely a historical book, but it's historical. It's authentic. It's uh, it's accurate. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of history out there that certainly is questionable. You know, there's a, an attempt on a lot of people's part to rewrite history today and to discredit things. Certainly a, a, a large attempt to discredit God's Word. Um I, I recall both times when I was in Peru, I would be, you know, I was walking along the highway and and um, somebody, you know, that, uh, you know, would come up and start talking to me and they would be pointing up at the mountains and, and uh, of course, I didn't have a clue what they were saying. I don't even know what language they were speaking in. And, and I, would, you know, I, I asked Tim Watley, I said, what's going on here? And he says, well, what they're doing is they're, they're, they're explaining to you the history of Peru. They're telling you about the Incas 500 years ago. He said, they don't have any idea what they're talking about, but they're just hoping that you'll give them some money because they're kind and gracious enough to give you a lesson in the history of Peru. So they're, you know, they're just making stuff up. Well, we don't have to doubt that the, you know, the events recorded in the book of Joshua are 100% accurate, that they're authentic and, and they're, they're credible history. And I hope this study will be applicable. Um, you know, as Dale Ralph Davis said in his commentary, we, we don't have any trouble accepting the Bible is inspired, infallible, and inerrant, but a lot of times we doubt the instructability of the Old Testament. And I know the first time that, that uh, you know, the last time that we studied, that I studied this book, I found it very applicable. Uh, the people then were just like us today. And I, I think a lot of times we lose sight of that. You know, and I'm not talking about just the Israelites. I'm talking about the Canaanites and some of those folks. Um, you know, they struggled with sin. We struggled with sin. They were wicked. God had to deal with them. God had to judge them. 
And it's a good reminder to us that, you know, we're those things that, you know, they were as, they're as relevant today as they were 3,500 years ago or even 2,000 years ago. Paul reminds us of that in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture. That includes the Old Testament is profitable. And in 1 Corinthians 10.11, as, as Pastor has gone through that chapter a few times over the last several years, I mean, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.11 that those things happened unto them for an example to us. And that right there is, is good enough reason that you know, we certainly shouldn't neglect the Old Testament. And, you know, it's encouraging to study the book of Joshua. We, we shouldn't despair in its, and I'm, I'm sure as guilty of it as anybody. You know, we, we live in a world that, uh, we live certainly in a country that um, is, you know, excluding God at, at uh, you know, much more so than ever in the past. And we shouldn't despair, though. Um, God is in control. God is going to be faithful. He's going to preserve a remnant. He's going to see the church through to the end. And we see that in the book of Joshua. God saw Israel through. He fulfilled His promises to them. And we also see that God's blessing is conditional. Our salvation isn't conditional. It's not based on whether or not we continue to earn the right to keep it. But God's blessing is many times conditional. That is just, they are, the Israelites are reminded of that over and over and over throughout the book of Joshua. God says, if you will stay close to me and obey my word, I will bless you. But if you won't, if you wander, I will come down hard on you. I will judge you. I will do to you the things that I'm doing to the nations that you're replacing. And that... Again, that statement is repeated over and over. The people back then were... God was trying to do good things for them, and yet they were so unhappy many times. And I think that describes the church a lot of times today. You know, we, we have so much, and yet we're sometimes unhappy. We have a... You know, as the New Testament tells us, we have a much better covenant than Israel ever had, and yet... A lot of times we're discontent, we're unhappy, we're, we're complaining, we're not, we're not satisfied, we're not fulfilled. And John 15.11 and 1 John 1.4, the Bible says that our joy is supposed to be full. And it's good for us to be reminded of that. We, I know I have a tendency sometimes to get down and mope around and think, you know, what's going on and, and how can God let, our, let these things happen in our country, but... Uh, God wants us to be joyful. He wants us to be satisfied. He wants us to be fulfilled. We'll see that the book of Joshua is relevant. Um, It's as relevant today as it was then. Um, Maybe more so. Um, In the sense that we, we have a completed Bible. We have a New Testament. We have other things that we can add to the book of Joshua to give us a better understanding of it. Um... I just absolutely marvel at the technology that is available to us to study God's Word. One of my favorite commentators is Matthew Henry, who lived over 300 years ago, and I couldn't begin to understand what life would have been like 300 years ago when he was doing a lot of his Bible study by candlelight. And I'm old enough, I remember that when I 
was doing a lot of Bible study over 20 years ago and preparing for Sunday school lessons and, and things like that, that I would actually drive to Grace College and go to their library and check out books and do my research that way. Um, and, you know, 20 years later, boy, who does that? I, I just can't even imagine. <laughs> you know, I get online 24-7. I don't have to worry about whether or not the library is open. I can get up at 5.30 in the morning or work on my study at midnight, and I've got all of these resources at my fingertips. I go to websites where somebody's already pulled all kinds of information together from a lot of good commentators like MacArthur and McGee and different people, and and I couldn't begin to exhaust all of the, the material that's available just for the book of Joshua. And so, you know, you really have to pick and choose. And And I just think, wow, I mean, to, you know, we've got blogs and, and all these different things. And I just think, man, if somebody couldn't grow spiritually today, there's something seriously wrong. I mean, it's so convenient. You know, like I said, you don't have to go through the the things that people had to do, you know, just a few decades ago and certainly a few hundred years ago. So, um, you know, we've got study Bibles and reference Bibles. And a lot of times when I'm studying, I'll have two or three different study Bibles open. And and uh, we just have such a privilege. We just have so much information available to us. And so it's it's very sad, uh, you know, if, if, you know, if we can't grasp a thorough understanding of God's Word. The book of Joshua deals with difficult topics. Certainly one of the more difficult topics is the topic of war, war and death. And that's one of the things that you encounter when you go through a book verse by verse and you don't pick and choose what you want to study. You have to deal with those topics. And, you know, I tried to explain that to the junior hires. I'm not sure I did such a good job, but... (laughs) Uh, God commands the total annihilation of a people. I mean, how do you, how do you sugarcoat that? How do you, uh, that's, those are the facts. And, I mean, you know, we'll get into that. I mean, and, and, and certainly God is justified in doing that, but those are difficult things to deal with. And those are some of the reasons that people don't want to deal with a book like the book of Joshua. They don't even, they want to ignore a book like the Old Testament. And, you know, look in our world today, you know, look at, look at the, the, the outcry and the uproar over the use of chemical weapons in Syria. And, um, and yet, you know, here in the book of Joshua, God commands that they're to go in and, and it's perfectly clear they're to annihilate the Canaanites. They're to destroy them. They're to leave no one standing. And, you know, we have to try to put all that in context and understand what God is, is trying to accomplish through that. And the Israelites didn't get special treatment. I think that's probably one. I know that's a misnomer that a lot of people have. I know I was talking to a guy at work one day, and, and he told me very plainly that was one of the things that bothered him the most about God. He didn't understand why Israel got special treatment. Why are they the chosen people? Why is that the Holy Land? You know, he had all these questions. And, and if you study the book of Deuteronomy, Israel didn't get special treatment in, in a lot of ways. But God told them that He was going to be as hard on them as the nations that they were displacing if they degenerated into the same type of idolatry and wickedness that the, that the other nations did. And, and as you study your Old Testament, you see that 
that that is what happened. God did come down on them very hard. And they have a, a history over the last few millennia of coming down under the judgment of God. And, but, but those are, those are questions that people have. And, and, you know, the, the book of Joshua deals with some of those. A little bit about Joshua. Joshua's name was originally Oshia, which means salvation, and his name was later changed to Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And in many ways, Joshua's a type of Christ. Um, we'll see that. We'll, you know, I, I'm always a little reluctant. I don't want to read too much into various texts, but uh, certainly there are some parallels there, and there are some, I think, clear examples where Joshua is a type of Christ. In many ways, Joshua represents the completion of things, certainly the, the fulfillment of God's promises, taking them, actually entering into the promised land, whereas Moses really more so represented the law. And so Joshua, in many ways, represents a better covenant, uh, the covenant of grace. Joshua was the leader that Moses had prayed for. Moses had asked God to provide a great successor. Moses had accepted God's punishment of him. And God told him more than a few times that he wasn't going to get to enter the promised land. And rather than dwell on that, Moses began to pray for a successor in Numbers chapter 27. And God answered that prayer. And God said, I picked Joshua. Joshua was a great example to others. And I I think that was probably one of the things that I, one of the things that I most took away from the, the most recent study that I did in the book of Joshua. Joshua was a great example for others. Um, steadfast, faithful, obedient. And uh, constant, I mean longevity. You know, 47, no less than 47 years was Joshua the commander of the military. And then... Of course, you know, when Moses died, the the leader of the entire nation of Israel, and a very godly man. Um, Just just a great example. And most of us are familiar with um, Joshua, at least to the extent that he was one of the two spies that that brought back a good report. Of course, he and Caleb, when they originally went to spy out the land, Turn to Joshua chapter 5, verse 15. I just want to pull this verse out as as one of the many examples of Joshua's faithfulness, his obedience. Joshua chapter 5, verse 15 says, And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. I just look at those last four words. And that that kind of typifies the life of Joshua. And you can find those same words in the book of Exodus and some of the other books. And Joshua did so. And what a what a testimony. I mean, if that could be said of me, and you know, God gives me a command and I do it. It just Joshua did so. So he was obedient. And you really have to I mean, it's quite a struggle to find anything in the entire Bible that anywhere that comes anywhere near negative about Joshua. There's there's maybe one or two instances in the book of Joshua that maybe hint of of some resistance, but for the most part, you just really don't find anything negative about the life of Joshua. He was just portrayed and characterized as being very obedient, very faithful, um, just a constant servant of the Lord. 
And, you know, I, I began to think about that because, um, of course, Joshua in some ways kind of rose to, to prominence because of the the rejection of Moses on God's part in terms of, of being able to enter the promised land. You know, if we were to go back to Numbers chapter 27. And, of course, Moses' sin, which, you know, was striking the rock instead of speaking to it, but, but more so than that, disrespecting God in the presence of the people. That was really what God called him out for. Um, I, I've got to think that, and, and you know, it, when you read Exodus through Deuteronomy, it's, it's pretty clear that Joshua was, I mean, literally just about at the side of Moses most of the time. He was his right-hand man. And I've got to believe that Joshua learned an extremely valuable lesson from that. You know, to, to see the consequences of Moses' disobedience, I've got to believe that Joshua kind of had a, you know, note-to-self moment. Don't do that. Don't disrespect God. Don't deliberately disobey God's Word. And... I mean, what a lesson. I mean, I, I remind the, the young people in the youth group of that many times that you don't have to learn all the lessons the hard way. You don't have to learn them firsthand. We, we learn enough of them firsthand. You know, we, we do certain things and we suffer the consequences, but sometimes you can avoid doing that. You can look at someone else and say, wow, look what they did and look what the consequences were. I don't need to experience that. I don't need to do that. And I, I got to believe that Joshua probably looked at that experience that Moses had and thought, "I don't want to. I don't want to do that." You know, God. Um, you know, much later, God still said, "No, Moses, I haven't changed my mind. You're not going into the promised land." That was a very disrespectful thing that you did, and I, I, I got to believe that that really motivated Joshua to be very respectful of the Lord. Good lesson for us. Turn to Judges chapter two. Verse 7. This is somewhat, I think, pretty an apt summary of, of the life of the nation of Israel under Joshua's leadership. Judges chapter 2, verse 7. It says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Contrasted with the period just prior to that, you know, the, the, the time of, of, of a lot of complaining and grumbling in the wilderness during the 40 years of wandering, and then, you know, as the nation began to spiral out of control and degenerate under the period of the judges, this was a pretty good time in the nation of Israel. This was, you know, a brief time, I mean, relative to, you know, the, the period of hundreds and hundreds of years. This this was about 27 years. The, the events of Joshua take place over a period of about 27 years. But um, but what a what a powerful statement about this was, you know, one of their brief times of, for the most part, experiencing the Lord's blessing and, you know, somewhat their heyday. <clears throat> Joshua was a young man. At the time of the Exodus, about 43 years old. Um, so when they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River, he's about 83 years old, um, 40 years later. And he's going to, uh, the 
the major battles of, the, of the, the conquest of the land take place over a period of about seven years. And so when that's completed, Joshua's 90 years old. And then, and then the, the Israelites experience about two decades of peace until he dies at the age of 110, which is recorded here in Judges chapter 2. So, um, so Joshua was a very capable leader. Turn back to Joshua chapter 1 now, and we'll start to get in a, into a few of these verses. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. So the book begins with a funeral. It ends with three other funerals. Um, the funerals of Joshua, Eliezer, and Moses. Uh, you recall Moses' bones were carried around for over 200 years, and they finally get around to having a funeral at the end of the book of Joshua. But it begins here with the funeral, the funeral of Moses, which is you know where Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 34 leaves off. And we see that life goes on. And, you know, we don't want to minimize death. We don't want to, I certainly don't want to come across as uncompassionate or, or um, you know, uncaring or anything like that. But um, as with the death of any man, life goes on. The task hasn't changed. God's plans and purposes proceed. And, you know, there were 30 days of mourning for Moses, but, you know, really the, the sentiment here is God says, you know, on with it. Life goes on. I mean, in human terms, this would have been one of the greatest difficulties for people to have dealt with. Um, Moses was considered one of the greatest people that had ever lived. And if you ask a lot of people today, they probably still say he's considered one of the greatest people that ever lived. So certainly his passing wouldn't have been any trivial event. But nevertheless, God's plan is that life goes on, as it will if any of us, any, any human being, passes. God's faithfulness to Israel was not dependent on Moses. It's not dependent on any man. God can raise up another to replace one no matter how valuable they may seem. And a lot of men are very valuable. They're very much appreciated. They're very much needed. But we shouldn't doubt the capability of God of fulfilling His promises and continuing to be faithful to us you know, regardless of who he chooses to to allow to pass on, we rely ultimately on God. We don't rely on man. And uh, you know, as Pastor said last week, um, you know, we're not all leaders. Some of us are toes. Some of us are an appendix that maybe somebody would like to have removed. <laughs> but you know, we we serve different purposes. <laughs> we fulfill different roles. And not everybody's going to be leadership material. Joshua was certainly leadership material. Many times, uh, just one note, one reference, Deuteronomy 34.9 says, Joshua was full of the spirit of wisdom. And there are other verses that talk about how Joshua was one who the spirit of God was in. And... Uh, turn back to Numbers chapter 14. I, I want to look at a few verses there to really kind of underscore the uh, 
leadership qualities that Joshua exhibited early in his life. I mean, I say relatively early. You know, when they were sent to spy out the land, he was still, uh, certainly by biblical standards, a very young man would have been in his early to mid-40s. And, you know, you're familiar with this story. Uh, You know, Joshua was, you know, they were 12 people were picked, one from each tribe to go spy the land. And, and of course, they came back and, you know, they were ready to give their report. And in verse number 1, Numbers chapter 14, it says, All the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, for the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. I mean, a full-fledged revolt. Let's just go back. This isn't working out. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it isn't an exceedingly good land. And the book of Joshua over and over uses that word good to describe the things that God has in store for the nation of Israel. It's probably a great idea if you're one that writes in your Bible to underline that. God has good things in store for us. He doesn't have bad things in store for us. Verse number 8, And if the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. So, here we have Joshua taking a very unpopular position. Most everybody was intent on returning to Egypt. That's their attitude. Let's go back to Egypt. What in the world are we doing here? And Joshua takes a contrary position. He says, we're not, we need to be obedient to the Lord. We need to obey God at once. And He was being faced with death. They're talking about stoning him. And I think this is a, a good illustration of why he was such a good leader. You know, he he didn't just go along with the crowd. This was certainly the minority position. Um, there weren't too many people on his side. But yet he stuck to it. He maintained his position. He didn't waver. He didn't say, yeah, you're right. This is too hard. We, we might as well go back to Egypt. You know, even faced with death, he stood faithful to God's Word. And I think that's what great, makes a great leader. Adherence to God's Word. That's what Joshua, that's, that's what characterized his life. And we'll see that as we work our way through the book of Joshua. Obedience and faithfulness to God's Word. And look at verse 30 in Numbers chapter 14. 
God turns the, the people's intolerance of Joshua into an exception for Joshua. Look at verse 30. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land. And all the verses preceding that are about how God said, okay, you're all going to die here in the wilderness. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I spare to make, which I swear to make you dwell therein, save or accept Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. So, Joshua's position was very unpopular with the people, but it was quite popular with God. And God turns their intolerance of him into an exception. God can do the same for us. We don't need to worry about being people pleasers. We've got to stand firm on God's word, even when everybody else says, no, it's not going to work. I mean, what a, what a great testimony. That's, that's a powerful leader. And I know a lot of people might think, well, how can I relate that to my life? You know, Joshua was the leader of a nation. And I'm never going to be in a position of leadership of any we're near that type of prominence. I'm never going to be the pastor of a church or, you know, in a visible position of leadership. But that, that same type of leadership quality is needed in needed for everyone. You may you're the leader of your household. Or you're the leader of your children. As moms and dads, you're leaders. And your children are looking at those those same they're looking to see what you base your decisions on. Are you basing your decisions on what God says, what God's word says, or whatever the latest trend is in the world. And so, you know, we can relate to to this. And we don't need to feel inadequate. That's not pride. That's confidence. God wants us to have that confidence. God wants us to believe that His Word is sufficient to, uh, to give us the wisdom that we need to make the right decisions in life. Whether that's you know, making a decision that's for the good of an entire nation or for the good of a church or a group or just for the good of my family, for the good of my wife and my children. God's Word is sufficient to, to allow us to have that type of wisdom, to be good leaders. And we shouldn't feel inadequate. I remember my, about three years ago, my, my dad and I were building a shed out, out in my yard, and, and my dad said to me, I, he, you know, he's, he must be reaching that point in his life where he's doing some reflecting. And he says to me, he says, you know, I think my dad was a lot better dad than I am. Now, you know, speaking of my grandpa. And, you know, Jim and Judy know my grandpa. <laughs> He'd been dead for over 30 years, a long time. Died when I was a, a young teenager. Um, and that's for the Lord to decide whether my dad was a better dad than his dad. But, but my dad was very, I think he hit the nail right on the head when he said, I know the reason. He said, my dad studied his Bible all the time. And my dad said, I haven't been able to do that. I haven't had the discipline to shut the TV off. Or, you know, remove whatever your hobby is that interferes with 
God's Word taken the having the preeminence in your life. And my dad, you know, my dad said my grandpa he had, you know, he had just as many hobbies as the next guy. He loved to go fishing. He had a speedboat and a camper and and all that. But my dad said when it, you know, when it came time to set aside time for God's work, he did. And the guys that he used to go fishing with used to kid him about it. They'd say, "Boy, Mel, you're pretty serious about this stuff." And, you know, I remember as a kid, you know, I, back in the 70s, you know, you had the, the, the chairs with the really big arms where, you know, it was like almost two extra chairs on the side of the chair. I don't know if very many of you remember those, but we had one of those. And I, I remember my dad, he would always be sitting in the living room and he would have his Bible on the arm of that chair. And he would be watching television. And I know what he's talking about. I know the struggle. The Bible wasn't in his lap. It was on the arm of the chair. It was off to the side. He just struggled to bring it in front of him and shut the TV off. And he said his dad didn't have that problem. He would just put those things aside. And, you know, my grandpa was, he was really into technology, which back in the 60s and 70s was CB radios and two-way radios and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's that's... That takes a lot for someone to admit something like that. But I, I understand where my dad's coming from. I know I see that struggle. I see it in so many people. And they're just not willing to allow God's Word to have the place in their life that it needs to have. And I think that what made Joshua such a powerful leader was that he was willing to do that. You just see this steadfast life of Joshua over, you know, from the from the time that they crossed the the Red Sea and you know as as a young man in his 40s all the way till he was 110 years old that's what he did he made God's he made obedience to God's word he didn't just know God's word he obeyed God's word and that's that's a great example that he left for us that he set for us as 1 Corinthians 10:11 says these things are for our edification these things the way God interacted with the nation of Israel is supposed to teach us a lot about how He wants to interact today with the church. Now, turn back to Joshua chapter 1. And again, as I, I hope I made clear earlier, I mean, if you, you know, if you want to interject, do so. I, I don't want this to be just me talking every Sunday and that's all you hear. Um, but, Verse number two, it says, uh, oh, and by the way, I, one of the things I noted, which I thought was very telling, was here in chapter one, or here in verse number one, Joshua is referred to as Moses' minister, and, and in some of the preceding books, he's also referred to several times as the servant of Moses, but at the end of the book, in chapter 24, verse 29, Joshua is referred to as the servant of the Lord. Quite a difference. Nothing wrong with both, being the servant of Moses and being the servant of the Lord, but at the end of the book, he's no longer called the servant of Moses. He's called the servant of the Lord. What a great epitaph to, you know, to be remembered that way, that he was the servant of the Lord. Verse number 2, it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all the people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. So again, the thirty days of mourning are over, but life's, but 
you know, God says life goes on. Um, and it does. I mean, as much as we, as much as I love my wife, if God decides to take her from me, life goes on. And, you know, years ago in a, in a previous church, we had a, we had a missionary who had lost his wife in a tragic car accident. And, you know, we began to meet with him as a deacon board, and by his own admission, he hadn't done anything for two years. He said he couldn't cope with the loss of his wife. And we ultimately ended up withdrawing the support. We removed the support of that missionary. We, we have human relationships here on earth that we treasure, but they are not to be the most important thing in our life. Our relationship with the Lord is to be the most important thing in our life. And I remember, I remember that we had, we had quite a struggle coming to a consensus on the deacon board about deciding to drop the support of that particular missionary. And I remember there was one one man in particular that was just holding out for a long time. And then, you know, finally he come into the deacon's meeting one day and he says, you know, I've been thinking about this. He says, as much as I love my wife, if, if she were to die, I would be back to work in a week. He said, this is the way it's got to be. And so, no, that's that's what we ended up doing. We ended up withdrawing that the support of that missionary. He just couldn't get on with his life. And we rely on God. That's supposed to be our best, our most important relationship. All of the, the human relationships that we have are wonderful. But it's our relationship with the Lord that is most important. This is a simple command. Go over this Jordan. Not, it's not an easy command. It's a very difficult command, but it's simple to understand. Uh, this was the rainy season. This was the spring melt. Um, some, a lot of people think that river might have been a mile wide at that time. You know, a lot of times during the year it's very shallow and narrow, but during certain times of the year it's very wide. But God says, you know, God gives a simple command and says, do it. And, you know, back then they didn't have the system of levees that we have today that, you know, we pretty much, for the, for the most part, 99 out of 100 years, you know, we keep all the water contained and confined within a series of levees. And, you know, it's pretty easy for us to cross these things. But if you were to even be here 150 years ago before we had these series of levees, you know, everything I've, I've read says the Missouri River was well over a mile wide. 150 years ago, which was one of the reasons they built the levees. So this was not an easy task. It was simple to understand, but it was a very difficult thing to do. But nevertheless, God gives the command. And Joshua just says, okay, you know, we're, we're going to see that. I mean, he takes God at his word and he decides to, you know, become obedient and and act on God's word. And notice there in the middle of the verse it says, in all this people. Um, this is a new generation. Forty years had gone by and 38 years since they'd returned 
back from the spying where the, the ten, ten men had the evil report and, and God's timetable has elapsed to where those that were the murmurers and the complainers and the grumblers and those were that the you know the lacking faith and, and the un, unbelievers, they have now passed on. Joshua and Caleb are the only people in the entire nation who can be over 60 years old. That were over 20 at the time when God gave that condemnation on that group of people. But God says, you know, let's get on with it. Let's enter the land. It's time for the fulfillment of all of those promises that he made to Abraham. Again, we don't want to, uh, you know, we don't want to uh, minimize the death. Um, Psalm 116.15 says that the death of God's servants is precious in his sight. But, uh, you know, God says it's, it's time to get on with life. It's time to possess the land. And that's what they're, that's what they're being charged to do. It's about quarter till. Um, Anybody have any thoughts they want to share relative to the only got through two verses today. Dave. Yeah, he's human. He's human. He's a great leader, but he was human. He was sinner like all the rest of us. Anyone else? Well, I think um, we'll stop there and um, we'll just pick up with verse number three next week. So you're dismissed. Oh, pastor needs pastor needs a little bit of time. He wanted to talk for a minute or two. <laughs>